Occupational Therapist with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 104, and today I will be talking about oral motor equipment for sensory and feeding. Before I get into this, though, since it has been quite a while since my last episode came out, let me remind you that you can support this show by doing a couple of different things. One of them is by doing your online shopping using the Amazon links on my website. Trust the links. Any of them that say Amazon will work. The code is embedded in the link to give me the credit for your purchases. I know you all shop on Amazon, so please go to my website first and click the links to take you there. Another option is to become a Patreon member. You will receive additional member-only benefits by joining. You can click the Patreon button on my website or just go to patreon.com and search Milestones Podcast. Finally, and I think this one is a really great option, especially for new OT grads or any OT that is new to early intervention, you can sign up with me to do a mentorship. The mentorship is designed as a 60-minute video session where we will discuss any topics related to occupational therapy, specifically, mostly with early intervention. The purpose is to build on your skills as a new therapist. New grads, you don't always have the support or guidance that you want and probably need from coworkers and supervisors in a new job. I'm here for you. You can ask me anything about occupational therapy, and I won't judge you. There are no dumb questions. You are new. You are still learning. You don't have the experiences yet. I can help you with all of this. There's no commitment. You can meet with me one time only or one time a week or whatever. It's totally up to you. Just send me an email if you want to set something up. Now on to the discussion for today's show. The topic of oral motor equipment is a common one in my OT sessions with families. This is something I haven't really specifically addressed in my show yet, so I wanted to do that now. Although I have touched on the topic in some of my shows about oral sensory processing and some of the feeding episodes, I haven't dedicated a show to the details of using these items. When I say oral motor equipment, I'm talking about things like chewy tubes, chewy necklaces, Z-vibes, nook brushes, blue tubing, vibrating toothbrushes, and other items that are used in and around the mouth area for a developmental or therapeutic benefit. Also, when I'm talking about using these devices for oral motor activities, I'm including not only in their mouth, their teeth, tongue, cheeks, palate, roof of mouth, etc., but also on their face around the outside area of their mouth, including lips, jaw, chin, cheeks, etc and so on. For some therapists, the topic of oral motor devices is scary because it often leads to discussions about feeding issues. And not every therapist is comfortable with working with families on feeding concerns. Unfortunately, this episode will not teach you everything you need to know about feeding therapy, but I will try to touch on some basics that can at least get you started. From an OT standpoint, one of the main reasons for using oral motor items is sensory processing. The majority of the time, we use these items with kiddos that are either hypersensitive or hyposensitive to oral sensation. I think about it in this way. 
They are either overly sensitive where they don't like stimuli or sensation in and around their mouth, therefore they are hypersensitive, or they are the opposite where they don't register sensation going on in and around their mouth. In other words, low registration. Or to put it another way, they need more stimulation to figure out what is going on in their mouth. Therefore, they fall into the hyposensitive category. I'll explain that part more in a bit. Let's go back and start with hypersensitivity. What does this mean and what does this look like? This is where from a sensory perspective, it takes less stimuli for a child to notice something. So when an object or food is presented to the face and mouth areas, their brain processes the object or the food quickly and usually determines that it is offensive in some way. In other words, the object might touch their face or mouth, and their brain immediately recognizes it as something that it doesn't like, so they respond. In a real example, it might look like this. A mom giving her toddler a bite of mashed potatoes from a spoon. The child opens their mouth, takes the bite of mashed potatoes from the spoon, and immediately spits them back out and makes a yucky face at mom. Do we think the child is going to take another bite of this right now? Probably not. They will probably just turn their head away, push the spoon, um, cry, or maybe all of the above when mom offers another bite from the spoon. At this point, we don't know what it was about that bite that was offensive to the child. Could have been the texture of the food, the flavor, the smell, the temperature, or something about the way the spoon felt. Maybe not even about the food at all. In another example, a parent puts a few toddler yogurt malts on the child's high chair tray. The child picks one up, puts it in their own mouth, and begins to gag until the yogurt melt falls back out of their mouth onto the tray, or the parent swipes the rest of it out of their mouth for them. In a more extreme version of this example, the child could end up vomiting. In this case, it could be the texture or flavor, or it could be more related to oral motor skills and difficulty with managing the food, which ultimately leads to activating their gag reflex. Again, the chances of this child putting another one in their mouth right after this is pretty slim. The chances of them putting another one in their mouth tomorrow is probably also still pretty slim. The chances of either of these children eating anything else right now, I would guess is about 50-50. Once that response happens where they reject the object or food, it can put the child into a state of heightened alert and they may need some time to recover before continuing on with eating. It's like the fight or flight response kicked in and it may take extra time to get back to their normal state. These types of experiences tend to lead to what we often see as the next phase where the child is considered to be a picky eater by parents. The child has had many meals with these types of responses, so they learn to be cautious when eating, and they can quickly figure out which things are quote-unquote safe for them and which things are not or may not be safe. In other words, these early mealtimes with negative experiences can lead to these children being wary of future mealtimes. 
they may tend to stick with the foods they know they have had good experiences with in the past and avoid or reject new or novel foods just to be on the safe side, to avoid the possibility of having those negative responses again. On the opposite side of this are kiddos who are hyposensitive to stimuli. In this case, they need additional or extra sensation before their brain processes the stimuli and responds. In other words, it takes a lot more stimulation and probably extra time for their brain to realize something is going on in their mouth. Process what it is, determine whether or not it's okay with it, and then respond in some way or another. For a real example, a mom gives her toddler a bite of mashed mashed potatoes from a spoon. The child takes the bite in, closes their mouth, and holds their mouth closed for a while before opening their mouth again. They seem to have swallowed some of the mashed potatoes, but when you look in, some of them are still there, just scattered around inside their mouth. In this example with this response, the child takes longer to realize the food is, number one, in their mouth, and number two, for them to actually swallow the food. They also don't seem to realize there is more food left over in their mouth that still needs to be swallowed. There may not be enough stimuli from texture, flavor, or smell, or any combination of the three for the brain to register the food, or there is enough stimuli but their brain just takes longer to realize it's there and respond by actually swallowing. In another example, The parent places a few yogurt malts on the child's high chair tray. The child picks one up and puts it in their mouth. The yogurt melt sits on the tongue and eventually dissolves. The child loses a lot of it back out of their mouth and down their face without even noticing. And they may swallow a bit of it too. Again, not enough stimuli for this child to realize it's there and to respond appropriately by chewing and swallowing it. This is a child that the parent most likely finds food left over in the child's cheeks well after meals and snacks have ended because they don't register the foods being in there. You can hopefully see in kids that are either hyper or hyposensitive with oral sensory processing that the exact same foods presented in the exact same ways can and probably will have opposite responses. I would say it is easier to determine whether a child is hyper or hyposensitive than it is to determine exactly what to do to help them be more successful with eating. Generally speaking, you want to desensitize or calm down the oral area for kids that are hypersensitive or overly sensitive to stimuli. By desensitizing this area, you're helping them get prepared to be able to tolerate having the food in their mouth. Think of calming strategies that we commonly talk about with the rest of the body. We often use deep pressure or weighted objects to help. In other words, proprioceptive strategies. The same concept works here for this area. Deep pressure in this area happens frequently with biting or chewing activities and with vibration. On the other hand, you want to wake up or provide stronger stimulation for those kids that are hyposensitive or under-responsive 
to stimuli, things that will make them more aware of the oral area. This can also be done with the use of proprioceptive strategies, such as biting, chewing, and vibration. But in these situations, other types of strategies are often used as well, such as adding bold flavors, um, changing the temperature, making it really cold, and adding textures. For example, you might dip one of the chewy items into ice water before having the child bite down on it. This will make it extra cold and may help the child be more aware of the chewy tube in their mouth. These additional strategies offer more variety of sensations to help raise the awareness to this area. Let's get into the different types of oral motor items now. I will have links to these items in the show notes today. And if you are following me on Patreon, you will have access to a list of the items with pictures, descriptions, and links. I'm working on getting this put together, but it should be on there really soon. Um, the first item that I wanted to mention is called a nook brush. It's not really a brush like you might be thinking, but that is what it's called. You can find these easily on Amazon. The quote-unquote new design is not really new. It's been the new design for quite a while now. The old one is the one that I actually like a lot better. Not just because it's original, but because I think it's a better design. It's difficult to accurately describe what these look like. I always have to pull up a picture of one to show people what I'm talking about. So if you don't know what it looks like, I would suggest that you click on the link real quick to see it. In case you can't do that right now, I will tell you. It has a plastic handle, kind of like a regular toothbrush handle. But instead of a brush with bristles on it, it has kind of an egg-shaped rubber end on it, which is about the size of a small toothbrush head. The rubber end is textured with short, nubby, soft pieces that poke off or come off all around the egg-shaped part. The old or original version is softer, it's less pokey, has more of the bristles coming off of it than the new version. The newer one is more spiky looking and it doesn't really give as much when you bite down on it. A nook brush is really made to be used with babies who don't have any teeth yet. In general, it can be used as a gum massager to help soothe some of the pain from teething. It can also be used to help clean up the gums after feeding. From a feeding therapy or sensory standpoint, it can also be used as a way to desensitize or stimulate their mouth to prepare for feedings. For desensitization, they can bite down on it with their gums for that deep pressure proprioception. You can also use the texture of the spikes on it to wake up their face and outside of their mouth by rolling it around on these areas. Then you can also do this on their lips, inside their mouth, their gums, their tongue, cheeks, and such. In addition to the texture, you can add the cold stimulation and stimulating flavors like sour, tart, spicy, or others to bring awareness to their mouth. If you give this to an infant or toddler who is getting teeth, they will bite through it. It may not happen immediately, but it will eventually happen, especially with the original version because it is softer and more pliable. These need to be used only with adult supervision. 
The new version also has a blocker that you can put on it so the child can hold it on their own and not shove it too far down their throats. Of course, this doesn't always stop them from turning it around and mouthing on the wrong end of it, which almost always happens at some point. So they still need to be used with adult supervision, even with the blocker. Other oral motor items, we generally just refer to them as chewies or chewy tubes. There are so many varieties of these now to choose from. It can be overwhelming to decide which one is right for which child and situation. Once you start using them with kiddos, you start to see how it works. I do think it is largely a trial and error situation most of the time. Even for people that have been doing this for a long time, I still think it's a trial and error for myself. However, I will say that I do have some go-to options that might help you get started with some of these trials and errors. Um, Those are the Chewy Tubes, the Green Knobby Chewy Tea, and then there's also a Red Chewy Tea, which does not have texture on it. There's chewy sticks, or they're also called hollow teething tubes. Um, There's so many things, and again, refer to the show notes because um, it has a list of the ones that I typically use. Not that you have to use those, um, but again, it's just a place that might get you started. Um, I would use the chewy tubes that do not have texture for kids that are hypersensitive to stimuli. And um, oftentimes these kids will do better with something that is smooth. It will be less offensive. um, And they may be more willing to put it in their mouth. The textured ones can be used with kids who are either hypo or hypersensitive, just depending on the individual. And if you're able to get them to tolerate the texture for those who are hypersensitive. I usually get the textured ones... Specifically, though, for kids who are hyposensitive because they will likely benefit from having that bumpy texture to help wake up their mouth. These items can be used with babies who don't have teeth yet, and they can be used with toddlers who do have teeth. They are more difficult to bite through. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it is not as easy as um, with a nook brush. Of course, they should still be used with adult adult supervision. I'm going to say that with all of these. Um, The chewy tubes are a little easier to get into the sides of their mouth where they can practice biting down using their molars or their side teeth or gums. This can also be beneficial for stimulating or reaching their cheeks area for additional awareness there. This is nice for kiddos who tend to pocket food in their cheeks or hold food in their cheeks like little chipmunks. Sometimes having the stimulation in their cheeks with the chewies can bring awareness here and help them figure out how to get the food out of this spot. You may see when the chewy is on one side or the other, their tongue go that direction. Um, that's kind of a, a typical response and what you want to see happen. Also, any of these can be dipped in cold or warm liquids or foods depending on their eating abilities considering the flavors, textures, and temperatures based on their individual needs. The hollow teething tubes are a little larger around, so they are more difficult to use for these spine-specific spaces, but they are good for stimulation due to the variety of texture on them. 
kids seem to enjoy biting down on them, and they do give when you bite down, which is great for the deep pressure aspect. These can easily be used on their face and lips areas as well for additional stimulation or desensitization. They're pretty easy for little ones to hold on to and try to bring to their mouth by themselves with supervision. I have also used these to teach some kids how to drink from a straw when they are ready for that. A final couple of options are items called Jigglers and a Z-Vibe. Both of these items are ones that can vibrate. So, of course, this should go without saying that these are not appropriate for children who have seizures or who are at risk for having seizures. Um, For those who can tolerate vibration safely from a medical standpoint, they can be really effective tools. Most of the time, they are used with kids who are hyposensitive because the vibration is highly stimulating, and it can help them become more aware of their mouth area when they are using it. However, because of the deep pressure aspect of vibration, I would encourage people to also trial them with kids who are hypersensitive. Sometimes they will enjoy them. They are more likely to resist them at first, Um, even just touching it or holding it in their hands. Um, But there are some kids who will give it a try and end up using them um, as a way to calm down the sensitivities using the deep pressure when they bite down on it. Uh, So what are these things anyway that I'm talking about? So the jigglers are these cute rubbery type creatures on them. Uh, They're on the end of this, I guess, stick for lack of better term. I've currently seen them sold in sets of two on Amazon, and they either have a sloth and a unicorn together or a frog and a dragon. If it was me, I would opt for the set with the unicorn because the unicorn has wings that come out, and they look kind of similar to like a kid's spoon. Um, For kids that have teeth and use these jigglers, the wings area is a good place for them to bite down on whereas the other creatures have thinner arms that can be bitten off more easily and more quickly. They used to make one uh, that was an elephant with ears that were similar to the wings of the unicorn, so I'm guessing this creature just replaced the old elephant. Basically, the jigglers are a fun way to get kids interested in vibration, and they're a safe item for them to put into their mouth if they choose to. Of course, adult supervision is always recommended. Um, I don't think really there aren't like a lot of technical ways to use these necessarily. Mainly they're just an item that looks somewhat familiar or interesting to kids. Um, It kind of looks like a toy even though it's not. Um, And it doesn't really look like a tool or a feeding utensil. So this can make them less offensive or scary for kids and they just might be more willing to explore them because of that. The other vibrating item is a Z-Vibe. Now this does look like a tool and it also does look like a feeding utensil. So um, that is one downside to it, but they are pretty great for working on specific oral motor skills and um, increasing tolerance to stimulation. The Z-Vibe is just a stick that is basically like the size of a pencil. You twist one end of it to turn it on and off, 
and the other end um, has different attachments that can go on. The attachments can be dipped in ice water, food, or any other stimulating flavor to help wake up the mouth, just like the other chewies for those kiddos that are hyposensitive. Some of the attachments that can go on it are longer. There's one called Bite and Chew Tip XL, and that can be used for biting and chewing practice using the molars or the side area. Some are shorter, which are better for more specific tactile stimulation in the fronts of the mouth or on the lips and face. And these shorter ones have less of a risk of stimulating a gag reflex because it is more difficult for it to reach the back of their tongue. It can be done still, but it doesn't happen as easily as the longer ones. This can be especially helpful when using it with kiddos who are hypersensitive or have a more sensitive gag reflex in general. The Z-Vibe also has spoon tip attachments, which are helpful for feeding therapy specifically too. It turns this into a vibrating spoon that can be alerting for kids who need that type of input when learning to close their lips on the spoon. The vibration can help them feel their lips, provide that body awareness they might need, and encourage them to close their lips on the spoon to remove the food. While the jigglers are things that I would allow kids to hold on to while I assist them and supervise them with it, I would not allow kids to hold on to the Z-Vibe usually um, unless they are maybe a little older and have better fine motor and oral motor skills and maybe if they're trying to feed themselves with it. Otherwise, I would be concerned that they would use it incorrectly and not safely and also possibly break it. This is one of the items I use that I really consider more of a therapist tool than anything else. Now, I will also train parents on how to use it appropriately with their individual child, of course, because they're with them every day, and that only makes sense. Um, But I also caution them to be the ones in charge of it rather than handing it over to their toddler for the child's safety more than anything. Sometimes uh, we just go for the vibrating toothbrush option for basic oral motor stimulation and or desensitization. Again, you can dip this in ice water as a way to add stimulation to it for oral awareness. Um, You can dip it in ice water. It has a little bit of lemon flavor or other flavors in it, stuff like that. These don't have to be specific. They don't have to be little kid-sized. I often use generic cheap ones from whatever store or Amazon. I actually do have a link for these too. Um, Basically, something that's kind of affordable that you can just get the job done. And these are one way of getting a vibration that some kids need to wake up their mouth without really spending a lot of money. The the Z-Vibe is quite a bit more expensive than just a vibrating toothbrush and also the jigglers. Um, I have to tell parents it's not for the purpose of brushing their teeth, though. I mean, they can also use it for that, um, but they can also just use their little kid toothbrushes that might be more appropriate depending on which vibrating toothbrush you end up choosing. Um, But this specifically would be used for waking up their mouth and preparing them for eating or talking or just becoming generally more aware of their mouth area. 
it makes a difference to say this because some parents will not use these during the day for the purpose of sensory stimulation unless I explain the purpose of having this specific toothbrush. Um, a lot of times they'll just think, we'll just do it at bedtime when we usually brush their teeth, and then the focus is just on brushing their teeth. The point is, for this, not brushing their teeth, although, the, uh, as I said, it can be an added benefit, incidentally. The point of it is oral stimulation during the day, hopefully before a meal, so they will be able to eat better, chew their food more completely, and swallow safely. It might seem obvious to us, but trust me, it's not. It needs to be said. I'm going to go ahead and end there for the show. I would like to remind you to check the show notes for the links um, to the items that were discussed in today's episode. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. 